Well, in case you don't know, if you're new with us today, we are in a protracted study of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, seeing Jesus together in the Gospel of Luke is our uh, title or subtitle, a theme. And we are now in chapter 10 of Luke's Gospel. And the title of this morning's message is The Rejoicing. Now, so far in this consecutive expository series that we're in, we've reached a major transition point in Luke's gospel. Everything now is starting to turn toward Jerusalem and ultimately culminate in the Savior's giving of his life on Passion Week and his resurrection, of course, coming on Sunday, next Sunday, in our time frame today. But Jesus is on the road now to his destiny that the Father had planned from him from all ages past. Now he is turning his attention toward Jerusalem. Luke says he set his face toward Jerusalem. And he's doing this. Now he is, as he's turning, his attention is coming away from Galilee region where he had been doing most of his ministry and now he's coming down more toward Jerusalem into Judea. And Jesus has sent as we saw last week, 72 forerunners, or sent ones, the word from which we get the word apostle. These forerunners would, were sent to go ahead and prepare an area before Jesus himself would come. And we saw that was what we looked at last week. Now, for our scripture reading, look with me at Luke, either on the screen or in your Bibles, Look with me at Luke 10, verses 17 through 24. Remember, this is the word of the Lord. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father. Or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses 
to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The grass withers, flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let us pray. Father, once again, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit in this service of worship to you, and especially now as we read and express your word. Lord, to see it brought before us and give us understanding and facility to hear the word of the Lord and to receive it with meekness. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, the 72 were, after coming back from their journey, elated as they returned from their first short-term mission trip. Now, interestingly, we're not told, we're not told about these sent ones, these forerunners, how long they were out on their mission. It could have been weeks, probably at least was that, maybe even months. They were out going all throughout Judea and to places where the Lord would come and they were going and knocking on and bringing peace. And when those who did not receive it, they basically walked out and went on to the next opportunity. So we don't know how long this time of going out as ambassadors for Jesus took. But we do know that when they finally got back to home base where Jesus was, they had some war stories to tell. Indeed. Today's outline goes like this. The joy in the fall of Satan, the joy in the Father's will, and the joy in seeing eyes. Eyes that see spiritually and are blessed. Now, the joy... In Satan's fall. That's in verses 17 through 20 of our text. Luke tells us that the 72, when they got back, they were absolutely ecstatic. They were full of excitement and joy at the success of their efforts. They couldn't believe that Jesus said he would send them out with power. And indeed, they were literally having the ability to heal diseases, and even to cause demons to flee and head for the hills. And all of this, not because of them. They knew it was the power that Jesus had invested them with. It was the power of Jesus' name. I'll hail the power, we sing, of Jesus' name. That 
was indeed what happened when they went out. Now, as they were returning and coming back and all excited, Jesus speaks in verse 18. In verse 18, Jesus was doing some rejoicing of his own. He was rejoicing in the long-awaited promise of Genesis 3.15 being fulfilled in that very spot and in that very moment. Now, what would that be? Genesis 3.15. What passage is that? That's the passage that tells us that God would one day crush underfoot the head of the serpent. Jesus' heel would be bruised, but it would be Satan that would be crushed. There's another part of that story as we get closer to passion reality in in the series. But you'll see how that plays in then. But you see, what Jesus was doing, he was drawing upon the imagery from Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, about the fall of the morning star, which was Lucifer, the original name of the Satan. And in Luke 10, 15, which we looked at last week, there is a statement made about, about Capernaum ultimately falling down to Hades. And this is connected to what is happening right now at that point in time. The power of Satan's kingdom that had been so great and so pervasive was coming under fire and was being brought down in this very event that we're reading about today. This also relates to Revelation 12, 9. Listen. And the dragon was thrown down, and the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And Jesus is the one who is facilitating that event. And the disciples were the ones that were in ecstasy because of what was happening. And the devils were fleeing from them. And Satan literally was crashing down. He is being subjected. He is being defeated by the second Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's going on spiritually here in this text. And Jesus is saying, I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. And when the disciples exercised demons, the forces of evil were shaken, symbolizing the definitive defeat of Satan. Now, hear me carefully. I said the definitive didn't say that he had no power left at all or he had no way to harm us or his cause. Remember, we just read in the text that he is the one, the deceiver, the one who has caused the people to not receive the Lord. That he's, He has come to the 
uh, when the disciples exercised demons, the forces of evil were shaken. And that symbolized the definitive defeat. Uh, Listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So he is the one, Jesus is the one that has been given the power to destroy the evil one. And that is what is definitively happening right here in this text at that point in time. Now, it doesn't mean, again, that there are not some ways in which he can still do harm. But he had been given the authority to deceive the nations and had so done so for so long by and large, but no longer. Now, his defeat definitively One day it will be finalized, but now it's essentially in its kernel form. It is like it came crashing down from heaven. The whole ultimate result of of the mission was compressed in a moment that flashed with the rapidity of lightning. Jesus was telling his disciples that Satan's power has been broken at his command And Satan was a defeated foe. In other words, he was saying, cosmic eviction notices are being served. That's what was happening. He was saying, you're coming down. I'm breaking you. This is what has been long foretold all the way back in Genesis and now your power is going to be broken cosmic eviction notice served I love the uh the the uh one of the hymns that we that we sing at the name of Jesus uh listen listen to how it depicts our our savior at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow every tongue confess him king of glory now Tis the Father's pleasure we should call him Lord, who was from the beginning the mighty word. This is Jesus, and he is bringing down Lucifer. He is bringing down the prince of darkness, and he is flooding the world with his gospel light and kingdom. You see, currently, (laughs) there's a financial um, commercial that's airing uh, on TV. If you if you're watching general uh, cable news or whatever, or if you're live streaming, I don't. I, I guess it's probably not on live stream. But anyway, it's uh, I've seen it several times recently, and um, it's about basically a guy that's about to uh, planning to jump. Uh, looks like uh, maybe a, something like a 300, 400 foot uh, bungee jump. He's going to take a bungee jump off this gorge. And uh, as he's getting ready to do that, uh, he's, of course, he's dealing with, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a financial uh, commercial. And uh, he's, as he's getting ready to do this, he, obviously the guy working on it is not, not, uh, not very good at what he's doing. And uh, he re- the guy reaches out at one point, he's got a bunch of strands, and they're all cut. <laughs> and so 
if he, if he goes and tries to j bungee jump, well, you know what's going to happen. He's going straight to the bottom uh, to a very, very bad ending. Well, my friends, in, a, in, a, in another sense, spiritually speaking, that's effectively what Jesus saw. Satan taking a giant bungee jump without a cord. In other words, that was the definitive end of his power. It's not waiting for that to, to, and everything else waiting until then. He has already been defeated, as I said, definitively. He will progressively be defeated by the kingdom of God, and one day he will finally be defeated in an ultimate sense. But the definitive has already come. It's not something that we await. It's a victory, and that's what Jesus was telling them. I'm telling you, it's here. I'm here now. I will break the back of the powers of darkness. Now, see, Jesus didn't come to be a Messiah of a small Roman province called Palestine. He didn't come to just rule the world. He came to transform all creation on a cosmic scale. He came to ultimately to destroy the dominion of darkness and bring in his dominion, an everlasting kingdom which cannot be shaken and in which there will be forever light. Now, no doubt the 72 were basking in the light of a fallen Satan. As, as Jesus, they heard him say this. It's happening right now. They had been out and they had seen all these miracles happen. And they're sitting there thinking about their own powerful accomplishments. And they're thinking about what Jesus said. The evil one is, is going to be cast down and is being cast down. But Jesus said, hold on, boys. You're rejoicing in the wrong thing. That's, that's good stuff, but your joy should be somewhere else. Jesus said that those events should not be the basis of their rejoicing. Instead, they should what? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Verse 20. Your names. What you should be excited about is that your names as my followers, as Christians, as believers in Christ and in his gospel, you have been blessed to have your name permanently written in heaven. And it's been put there by God himself, and there's no one that can take it away. You see, God has claimed them as his people and that is far, far greater cause for rejoicing than any kind of accomplishment or ability to cast out demons or any other thing in this world. I think you've heard me say this before, but no matter what happens for a Christian, there is no way you can lose. There is no way. No matter what happens in life, 
if you are a believer in Christ and you trust him for your salvation, we have a reason to rejoice if our names are written there. We have a, no, no matter what it is, no matter if you go bankrupt tomorrow, no matter if you lose your job, no matter if circumstances turn against you in so many ways that you are overwhelmed, you cannot ultimately be afraid because the greatest fear of death has been taken from you and you have the books of life that have been given to you. Your names are written in heaven with God. And there's nothing that can take that away. Even if you and I die, and we will, but that's not going to stop us from being in heaven with our Father and with His Son and with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, this other stuff's good, but you need to, what you need to be, no matter what circumstances are happening in your life, you need to be rejoicing that God's got you in his hand. And Jesus is holding you. Now, that's the long part of this. There's another section in verses 21 and through 22. We could call it the joy in the Father's will. Uh, after helping the 72 sent ones understand the source of their joy, uh, Jesus responded to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and he broke out in spontaneous praise to his Father. And he just was over, Jesus was overwhelmed. He knew that he had seen what had been prophesied happen, and yet now he's ecstatically rejoicing in the praise of his Father. The Holy Spirit leads him to break out and praise the Father's name. Now, once again, Luke is bringing together the triune Godhead. He's bringing in, there's the there's mention of the Holy Spirit. There's the mention of, of course, Christ being there. And of the Father being the focus of Jesus' praise. Luke does this many, many times throughout his gospel. And once again, he's bringing the triune connection front and center for the three persons of the Trinity. And once again, the principle of the inverse operations of the kingdom are on display. They're on display as Jesus rhapsodizes about the Father's sovereign ways and purposes for his own glory. Jesus is, is just pumped about God. You do whatever you do. And it's always good and it's always right and it's always just. He is just ecstatic about that. He's rhapsodizing that. And yet if you read that text and as we read, what did it say? Some he leaves in their blindness and some eyes he opens. That's not saying everybody gets the same deal. No. Some are going to receive. Some are not going to receive. Some are going to be lost. And some are going to be found. And Jesus is absolutely ecstatic 
about the way the Father does what he does and how he does what he does. A lot of Christians, if they're honest, have trouble with the idea that God and his Son reveal themselves to some and not to others. You mean to tell me that that the Bible says God closes the eyes of some that can't see and opens the eyes of others so they can see spiritually? Yep. That's what the Bible says. We've seen it several times already in Luke and many other places. If, if that bothers you, I get it. But it's a hard pill to swallow because of our pride. It's a hard pill to think, we always think we're at the center of everything. And it's all about us. And it's all about what we deem is, quote, fair or right or just. You see, but that does not make it less true. It's a hard, hard saying. It's hard to, to buy and, and hear that and deal with that. Because it doesn't leave us in charge, does it? But it does not make it less true. We are to rejoice in the things that Jesus rejoices in. Do you know that one day Jesus is going to be rejoicing in some things that right now and you and I really can't quite figure out how that's going to work? But he's always going to be just. He's always going to be righteous and true. He's always going to reveal the Father and his purposes. You see, Christians, we were once blind. And if you're a believer, now you see. Where did that come from? Did that come from you? Are you the reason for that? No. You see, God revealed himself to us through his son, and the son showed us the father. God revealed himself to his son, and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And Jesus shows us the father. Shows us his great love and his purposes. Now, the last two uh, verses, 23 and 24, is the joy of seeing eyes. It appears like, at this point, Jesus uh, dismisses the 72. So he's back with the 12. And then he says to them, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Now, the Old Testament prophets and kings, they looked forward to what God's purpose was going to be. But you know what? They had a very, very slim understanding of what that would look like. They were looking forward with fragmentary vision. They lived in an era 
in which the prophets could only dimly look forward. Listen to Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having knowledge that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They saw parts and glimpses and pieces, but they couldn't put it all together. That would have to wait for the coming of Jesus. And that's exactly what is happening now in this gospel that, that we're expounding. You see, we now live in an even greater beatitude of blessing or, or beatitude of privilege, I guess you could call it, would be another way to say it. A beatitude of privilege. What's the privilege? We now don't have to look forward with dim, fragmented eyes. We now have the whole picture, the redemptive story before us. And we can look back and see how the pieces come together. You see, we now live in an even greater time of privilege. Looking backward to the cross and the full revelation of God in Christ. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. This is a wonderful passage. Concerning this salvation, here's Peter saying, hey, this is what, it, this is what they had always been trying to see and couldn't see, but, but veiled and very, very, very limited. This is what they were waiting for and wanted to see and longed to see. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. The angels are going, wow, wow, how, how did God do that? How did he bring that in this tiny kernel into something that will fill the whole world and will turn the kingdoms of this world into the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. You see, my friends, we see more than the prophets did because of the revelation of God is complete. It's been given to us now. Do we cherish it? Do we love it? You see, we have now insider information. We are now, as his followers, those who have insider knowledge. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the inside knowledge that those for so many years Prophets and kings waited, longing to see what we now can look back on and see and know that we have the full 
complete and final revelation of Holy Scripture that shows us and tells us the wonderful story. The reality of the one who brought down the powers of darkness and will establish his kingdom on Zion's holy hill forever and ever. Father, help us to rejoice, to rejoice in the fact that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.